Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back to this episode of Demand Gen Radio. So glad you guys are tuning in. We have a topic today. You know, we talk about here the methods and technologies for driving growth. And if you want to sustain your growth, well, it is super, super important that you have a phenomenal client experience because the best products in the world don't win. Uh, that's been proven many, many times again. I will talk in a moment about a little experience that I had from a client experience perspective um, one morning recently, uh, just to kind of talk about one type of client experience. But uh, my guest is very, very passionate about the topic. And uh, when I said, hey, let's do a podcast together, we haven't done one. Um, what do you want the topic to be? It was a zero hesitation that the topic was on client experience. So, Alan, thank you for joining. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for inviting me, David. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. And if you guys are just listening, uh, I was just about to say, as you can see, um, we do simulcast the podcast on our YouTube channel, which is Demand Gen TV. And you'll see that uh, Alan is the founder and principal of Demand Revenue. We'll get into that in just a moment. But why why was client experience like boom? That's that's what I want to talk about. I think I think client experience and creating a remarkable customer experience is so important for so many reasons. You know, first of all, it's common sense. And we all want to be treated the way, you know, we want to be treated and we should treat our customers that way and give them give them some love. And, you know, I've seen industry stats that only 10 percent of the companies are doing right, doing it right and really treating customers well and creating a remarkable customer experience. And, you know, we've all had situations where that doesn't happen and how we feel when it doesn't happen. Also, I believe strongly that creating and sustaining and improving a remarkable customer experience is tied to long-term financial performance more than anything else. It's tied to lifetime value. Yeah. Um, it's tied to um, net revenue retention, um, and it's tied to multiple. So CFOs should pay attention as well as chief marketing officers because it's so important to corporate growth and health on a long-term basis. For sure. I, I wanted to share, as I said, a, a story uh, about a client experience um, and and just share that because every company needs to take a look at who their client is and architect the experience that the client wants, not that the organization wants, but that the client wants. And I don't think you can do necessarily surveys to just come up with what that client experience is. There are things that you're you know, certainly going to get. I mean, I'm sure when Nordstrom put their client experience together and thought about their return policy, um, they probably didn't have to look very far for feedback on what a return policy uh, should look like, which was almost like a no questions asked uh, type of return policy. But right. my story was this, Alan. So last week uh, before the July 4th uh, vacation, um, I, I did not have as much time in the morning to have my normal breakfast, uh, which is a pretty healthy breakfast. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a, an egg McMuffin from McDonald's. And there's one literally on the drive um, to my office, which is a whopping 12-minute commute. Nice, nice commute. <laughs> not bad. So I get into the garage and I pull out my mobile phone, which uh, is not near me right now, or I'd show it. But I pull up the McDonald's application and the, the McDonald's mobile app, which is connected to my Apple Pay already, um, pulled up the interface 
The Egg McMuffin was right there uh, because it knows that I've ordered those before. Um, there was a promotion, uh, which was right in front of me too, around items for breakfast. So right time of day promotions, right time, right place. I clicked on the Egg McMuffin. I clicked on reorder uh, and then hit, I think, one more button to, to confirm the order. And then it said, your order has been placed. Um, you know, do you want to do drive-through or do you want to do uh, pick it up in store? I wrote drive-through. It says, looks like you're not there. I drove down the street, turned in, uh, went up to the, the call box and said, um, order, I think it was like DT35. They said, please drive forward. I didn't have to pay for anything. Didn't have to get a receipt. Uh, went to the second drive through window, grabbed the bag and left. It was a frictionless customer experience. And that's what I was looking for. I need to have yep. a conversation with anybody. I, you know, it, and they have designed and architected it in such a way that that's what I was looking for. And, you know, certainly, uh, I think if you're in the fast food business, you should make it fast and frictionless and, and McDonald's, uh, at least, at least in my area does a great job. And yep. it was really cool how they're using mobile and geofencing and and all of those things but yep. you and i are probably going to talk a lot more about b2b or or b2c um customer experience that that's different than drive-through uh you know fast food and, and retail but good on mcdonald's for adapting to the times and modernizing their experience um thoughts that's before great. we dive into more uh you know sophisticated or elaborate customer experiences but you know my point was that that's what i expected that's what i got and it was the perfect experience and and the food was what i ordered as well good that's great you how know you and just think think about how many times it doesn't work that way think about how many times you're trying to get a hold of a company and they shield the people behind an iron wall and make you go through 10 prompts before you can speak to a person people buy and people interact the way they want to interact and that can change based on who the customer is some people want want to speak to a person some people want to do it completely electronically like you did and and the real important thing is to meet them where they are and understand what their needs are and where their frustrations can be with your process and and my example was really about the buying experience and i i know that you have shared this with me you've said like far too often people think about the customer experience after they've purchased the product and yeah. to contrast mcdonald's uh five guys does think about that because in the bottom of the bag they intentionally put additional french fries if you order french fries because they know that when you're driving and you're reaching in and grabbing the fries out of the bag that when you get to there's none left you're gonna go oh, i hope some fell out well they make sure some fell out they i'm doing air quotes if you can't see me because the uh they're they're intentionally putting in the bag why do so many companies think about the post buying experience and and i'd love to get your thoughts around that because uh, you know if you're not off to a good first impression you may not even get to a, the the buying experience clearly yeah I, I couldn't agree more and you know uh, the examples i'll cite come more from b2b and b2b to c which is the locus of of my experience across a number of industries and you know what i would say is the customer experience really begins at the prospect experience so if you think about your demand process and who you're reaching out to both inbound and outbound and giving them the content that they can connect with at the different inflection points of the buyer's journey, 
for example, if you if your data is dirty, if it's not clean, if it's not segmented, if you can't um, understand different niches of prospects, where they are, the industry they're in, what their pain points are, you won't be able to provide meaningful and relevant information to them to move them along the buyer's journey. And if you don't have a clean buyer's journey or you don't follow up with them when they ask you to follow up and it takes too long or you just, you know, email them too often, any of those things can create a lot of frustration that results in them never being customers because they uh, they, they screen you out and you, you don't become a customer. Mm-hmm. So it really begins there during the demand and buyer's journey. And you, then it continues post-sale. We didn't, we didn't talk about it in the beginning, but I want to hit, you know, if, if you guys don't know, Alan uh, mentioned that he was the founder of Demand Revenue. And so he serves as a fractional CMO, among other things that he helps uh, companies with and, and has worked for a number of our, our clients. And so, you know, what, what's nice is in your ability to come into organizations and bring a bit of a objectivity because you, in most cases, were not the first head of marketing. Um, you may not be the last head of marketing, but you're certainly there to come in and see if, uh, you know, you can inspect what they expect and then have some really radically candid conversations about how the customer experience actually is by, by talking um, to customers. When, when clients hire you, how do you go about understanding what the client experience is and what the client experience maybe is was architected to be? Well, first of all, I do two things. So I'm both an interim or fractional CMO, and I'm a CMO executive advisor or CMO coach. I've actually coached over 100 CMOs when I was at Serious Decisions in Forrester after being a serial CMO and general manager. But when, when companies hire me, uh, you know, I try to ask, you know, ask basic questions, and I tend to work very cross-functionally. So I understand, you know, where the strengths and gaps might be in the marketing organization. But, you know, um, most organizations, as they grow, alignment is more difficult between Mm -hmm. marketing, sales, product and finance organizations. So I try to understand very early on what the level of alignment or misalignment is like. Is there a consistent go to market strategy? Are they targeting the same the same niches, you know? Are the are the strategies complementary? And then I always like to speak with customers and look at the data. I'm a big believer in net promoter score, uh, and I guess we'll talk about it. In yeah, a little we should bit. get into that. But it's it's not just what the number is; it's what you do with the information. It's what you do with the customer comments to really understand. Um, I also look to see, you know, do they have an understanding of the personas they're marketing to? and the buyer's journey and the post-sale customer life cycle. How much work have they done in that area? And if they haven't, it's very difficult to understand the inflection points to drive growth in the organization. So I I always begin by asking a series of questions to begin to understand the environment and not make any assumptions coming in. You're you're familiar with our D3 methodology. uh, And when we when we put the methodology together and, and, you know, where it gets its name is the the, you know, these these three core disciplines of demand creation, demand management, and demand expansion. And in demand expansion, forgetting that, I don't want to forget, but I just mean not talking about customer experience in terms of the, like the prospect um, cycle, which we should talk a bit. But let's say now you have a customer. The amount of work that we do for customers in terms of onboarding nurtures, 
adoption yep. nurtures, retention nurtures, loyalty nurtures. The work that we do is significant in those areas. And yet I just want to call out that that's not a common request that we get from our clients. They are so focused on demand creation and demand management, getting the next new logo that the marketing team is not often very focused. And it's when we take them through the methodology and say, look, if you want to maximize revenue, you've got to maximize uh, and focus your initiatives in demand creation, demand management, and demand expansion. And when we ask them questions like, well, how much of your revenue comes from the install base? It's never single digit, and it's normally right. with a six right. in front of it. And yet, wait, so if you sold them a license for this particular SaaS application, are you doing anything to ensure adoption? No, really? So someone might buy a hundred user license of something and you're not really focused on making sure that they're getting users into the system and getting trained and right. used? No, we don't currently focus on that. Should you? Sure, we just haven't gotten to it yet. And it's like, wow, there's, you're just scratching the surface. And you know, for those of us who renew technology every year, like we just had our Salesforce renewal, they lost eight licenses. Uh, you know, from us because we, well, at a macro level, we're moving from Salesforce to Dynamics. We use Dynamics at BDO yeah. Digital and we use Salesforce here. So they'll eventually lose the license entirely. But I can tell you during the year, they didn't do anything checking on adoption um, of, the, of the platform. And I'm just, I'm wondering if that's consistent with your expertise advising so many different um, companies, both from your background at Sirius and others. But what, why is, I guess, why is the marketing focused on the install base uh, from a client experience perspective uh, more than they they are. You bring out a huge problem, a consistent problem among many organizations that have over time over-focused on demand and not defined demand adequately. When I think of demand, I think of not only new logos, but upsell, cross-sell. And in fact, you know, I did I did spend, you know, six years at Serious Decisions and Forrester. I'm a big believer in the campaign framework. And there are a lot of companies that that do random acts of marketing. Mm -hmm. And what I believe, you know, you have fewer, bigger campaigns and you have different elements of the campaign. You've got reputation programs and tactics. You've got demand, which is new logos and upsell, cross sell. You have customer engagement and retention and you have sales enablement and service enablement. And, and they all work together to grow the business. And, you know, marketing has for too long over-focused on new logos, which is a minority percent of, of growth. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I've had many conversations with CFOs that, you know, it's really the net revenue retention, it's the lifetime value that drives long-term growth and multiples. And that's a huge problem marketing organizations need to focus on, need to really recalibrate what marketing is doing from just helping with new logos and demand and, you know, um, pretty brochures and events to driving a holistic customer experience yeah. it from, seems... from the prospect to, you know, through onboarding. And as you mentioned, the whole customer journey yeah. through its inflection point. It just seems like it's... Um... Almost, I don't know if it's an oxymoron's the right way. Like the client experience is focused so much around the install base, not the prospect experience. And yet the marketing focus is so much on generating new demand and not the install base. It's like 
they're in absolute conflict with each yes. other where really i mean a, a large enough organization i believe should have a marketing team that has resources and teams focused at net new as well as the install base and to divide yes. and conquer that i'd love to get your perspective on that i don't think you can be jack of all i think you actually need distinct marketing teams and focuses you know under one organization yes. Yes. that focus you you feel the same way i do i agree and, and in fact you know, the more nascent function in a lot of organizations, and I'm working with two of them right now, and they're not small organizations. One is uh, um, half a billion, the other one is 900 million, and they need to build customer marketing functions within marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, they've had a demand function for a long time, marketing operations, marketing communications. I've helped literally over 100 um, different CMOs and VPs of marketing with marketing organization design. And the newest areas that many companies don't have yet are customer marketing and campaign functions that are really important, really, really important. What, um, what, yeah. what was it like working at Sirius Decisions? You know, we, we were both on similar paths, right? Sirius, to me, one of the reasons I liked building Demand Gen uh, before we became part of BDO Digital is I like the advisory piece, but I like the hands-on keyboard work. I was never comfortable as an advisor or consultant that would just prescribe and then kind of wish them good luck and, right. and hope everything works out. So I really liked teaming up with Serious Decisions and said, hey, look, you guys are gonna talk about the demand waterfall and anywhere you talk about it, I wanna follow right behind you uh, and operationalize that and put right. that together. I the question I wanna ask you is, in that period of time to now, have you seen any fundamental changes in marketing leadership in a good direction? Any changes that are taking a step back? Yeah, well, um, I'm a big believer that chief marketing officers need to be good conductors, like orchestra conductors. They need to understand the creative and breakthrough creatives, you know, to their target audiences. Which is hard, really, really hard which is hard and, and takes a lot of work and a lot of research. And they have to understand the analytical. Mm -hmm. So the creative is like jazz. The analytical is, is like classical. And you have to be, I've written some blogs on that. You have to be really faceted both. And it's not everybody that does that. Some people come from an agency background. Some people come from a more analytics background. But today's CMOs really need to do both and combine them together. Um, and, you know, they need to be a really good cross-functional leader, mm -hmm. really understand sales. So I, you know, I mean, I've been very fortunate because I started in finance and then I was in marketing and then I was in sales and I had some operations. And in addition to being a CMO, I've been a general manager a few times where I've had marketing, sales and product reporting to me. And you, you were asking about the time at Sirius. So before I went to Sirius, I was a uh, serial CMO and general manager. And this is the first time I worked with a lot of companies. And, and I really loved helping CMOs not make all the same mistakes I've made my whole career. And Sirius, as you know, um, had more models and frameworks than Carter has pills. I'm probably dating myself with that expression, <laughs> but, but they had a model and framework for everything because they had 100, over 100 analysts just thinking up new models and frameworks. Yeah. I had two roles there. I was in the chief marketing officer, executive partner and analyst group, but I also had responsibility for all of the healthcare segments globally, since I have a lot of background in healthcare. And I grew that into uh, into our fastest growing segment, best retention. 
And, you know, and I was there for six years, really enjoyed it. I loved working with CMOs, helping them in a lot of different areas. And I saw so many patterns over and over and over. Let's again. talk about that. Well, one is lack of alignment, you know, marketing and sales, not being on the same page, marketing, sales, product, finance, you know, as companies grow, cross-functional alignment is more difficult, but more important to drive productive growth, to drive operational productivity. You know, and sometimes, you know, the, the, the internal competition is worse than the external competition. Yeah. So getting people on the same page is important. I don't know if I ever said this, Alan, before we go into some of those other observations, but I candidly don't get it. And I don't know if that's because, like, when I graduated college, my professor, Jerry Rosen, at a Cal State Northridge back in 1988, uh, talk about this in my book, he told me you should go into sales. And I thought he was going to offer me a job at his agency in, in LA. And I was like, oh, I thought you were going to offer me a job. He goes, I'm offering you something more valuable because we don't do sales. Go into sales. And I, I started my career at Microsoft. Best advice ever, because for me, he, you know, he said, if you want to learn how to be a great marketer, you have to know why people buy. You need to know yes. the psychology of it. Yes. So by growing up in sales for the first several years of my career, when I went into marketing, I have to say, people may have different perspective. I don't believe that marketing serves sales. Like I'm not of that school of like, oh, I agree. like we're their bitch, you know, like that is not, you no. know, we're a team and we both have different responsibilities. Um, collective goals, but but different responsibilities in the process of achieving right. those goals. And so I always understood the challenges of, you know, like literally carrying a briefcase back in the day, not a backpack and going into Hughes aircraft and Lockheed and explaining what Microsoft Windows did and all the Microsoft Windows mm -hmm. products like Word and Excel. And so I needed stuff from marketing to get those doors open and to arm me with the tools and demonstrations and, and stuff that I needed to do it. And we worked together really well. By the way, Microsoft was called the U.S. Sales and Marketing Division. The division I was in was a sales and marketing division. So I think yep. I had good mentors and good experiences. So it 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 befuddles me. Like, I don't get it. But you see the same thing. It's, it was the number yes, one I thing do. that you saw. So, but why? Why is there this lack? Like, fundamentally, why is there a lack of alignment? Is, is, is it the you know, the, the, the mindset and DNAs of sales and marketing teams that it's like cats and dogs and you can't go, cause I just don't get it. I, if I was a CMO today in an organization, I would spend my first 30 days going and talking to clients, priority number one, finding out yeah. why they bought the product, what they like about it, who they evaluate in the competition, find out, you know, I'd spend my time first month with talking to clients. And then I'd and spend my people. time, I was gonna say, and then, I would talk to the salespeople and find out their perspective on the sales process and what they value and and, and need from marketing. And I've 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 done that repeatedly. So yeah. Why why is this such a challenge? Why is it, why is there such a lack of alignment? Well, I'll say first I have a similar background. I started at Xerox and I was first in finance, then consulting, then marketing, and then I took a sales role because to progress at Xerox, you needed to have sales experience. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered how I would do. Uh, you know, I always thought my personality, I would like it, but you, you don't know. So I took a pay cut, went into sales. I more than made it up the first year and I doubled my income the second year and made nice. President's nice. Club. And, you know, and, and that's always helped me be a better marketer also, understanding what it's like to carry a bag. And, and you know, I think, I think the issue is where people came from. So what they, 
you know, what their frame is. If you've only been with an agency and you haven't carried a bag or you haven't had other functional experience, it's a little more difficult. You may, you know, have your own marketing speak and marketing language that isn't the language of business. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be able to talk with a CFO and a CSO and speak the same language. And you have to drive cross-functional alignment and be on the same team. So you have to be a real collaborator and you have to listen to people and listen to where they're coming from. Got it. So you think that's what it is, that it's it's that lack of experience from carrying a bag or doing sales makes it difficult to understand. Yeah, could be that. Pivoting back to client experience, yeah, I, I heard someone say once, I don't know if it was you, um, that the CEO should be like the chief experience officer, a rebrand there. Um, someone made that comment. I, mean, I don't think it was you. I, But the point is that they re- should really care about it. Who is the chief experience officer? <laughs> and, and maybe maybe you heard that from me, David, but you know, a lot of people ask me who should be responsible mm-hmm. for overall customer experience. And, and I always say that's an easy one. It's the CEO, him or her, her or him need to set the company culture to be customer centric, really customer centric. And they really need to believe in it. Now, he or she can delegate that to either a chief marketing officer, a chief customer officer, a chief sales officer, but they have to be bought in and they have to really drive that in the culture. Okay. And if they don't, it's going to be difficult. What happens when the chief experience or the CEO is not the chief experience officer? Do you talk to him or her about it? Um, or does that role now fall to someone else? Because some some CEOs are just not capable of it. They don't. I, I mean, it, I don't want to label people, but if if yeah. if some CEOs are very strong introverts, surprisingly, yeah. and they're very technical. Um, normally like the founder syndrome, you know, if it's someone who came, came out of technology and invented the mousetrap, they, they, they may not have that. that They will come. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, certainly most of the people who listen to demand gen radio are not CEOs and marketing team. What's marketing's role in the customer experience, especially I want to want to chat about MPS, right? Because it's normally marketing that is, is putting the programs together to capture that information. But they're not just a middleman, right? So I've seen I've seen marketing leaders take on client experience and do it very uh, successfully. I've also seen the head of customer success uh, lead in those role and capacities. But you know, given your background, if it's not the CEO, or in addition to the CEO, how who and how should they be participating in architecting the client experience? Well. You know, there may be some education involved if the CEO doesn't first understand the importance, but they have to be bought into it, whether they're the main person or not. They have to really set the culture, as I mentioned. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been responsible for customer experience as a CMO in my background a couple of times. And, you know, whoever it is, you really need to bring t- people together cross-functionally. So, and you need to be able to measure what the level of your customer experience is currently. So, and understand, you know, what they love about you that you can put in the promotion, you know, the, the promoters and where they have issues with, with your experience. And, you know, you want to get, you want to get comments from them. You want to understand what their frustrations are. And the most important thing is, is if we're talking, for example, net promoter score is not what the number is, but what you do with what they tell you, mm-hmm. how quickly you do it, and then how you communicate back and demonstrate that you're listening to them and you're making changes. 
based on their feedback. I'm actually working with two clients um, through this now. And, and, you know, it's amazing. A lot of it's common sense, David, but it's amazing how many companies are not doing it. Yeah, no, for sure. And benefit from it. And, you know, when, when you've worked with us and work with the team, we, we always look at our onboarding experience with a new client and everything from what's in the first deck. Cause we normally share a deck yeah. where, you know, the person who hired us is not necessarily even in that call. Um, maybe we were hired by the CMO, but it's the head of marketing operations that we're kicking off with or the head of demand gen. And you know, how long that deck is and what is in that deck? Because we know that's the first experience for this team. This yeah. team may not have been involved in the whole buying process of bringing our team on board to help um, our clients with maybe it's Marketo or maybe it's some of the Adobe right. stack or CRM or or maybe it's helping with strategy first and then tools implementation second. So now we've got five people on a call who've never met my team before. They weren't involved in the process. And we really make sure that we are constantly improving that onboarding experience. Yes. Um, and, I'll, and I'll give an example why, because sometimes the people that are in that, they don't want their cheese moved at all. Or they were working maybe with a different agency, or yeah. maybe they've been there for a long time and implemented a lot of the systems and are now hearing that it's time to bring about change. So they we really don't. coach our team about change management, how people might respond. Your, your excitement of like, thank you so much, Alan. Uh, great to meet you. Um, as I understand from our sales organization, we're going to be helping you with uh, implementing a revised lead scoring system and and creating some new nurtures. Well, if the person's in the room who built the lead scoring system and you sound all excited about that, that may be the right approach, but they might be like, well, what's wrong with our lead scoring system? I, right. I built it. Uh, it's been in place for three years. And so, you know, just in professional services, uh, as you know, um, it's a lot about the people and there's a lot of yes. emotion uh, to the work that you're doing, especially bringing about change. On the product side, I find it's a little easier. You know, if I go uh, and let's say I was the chief marketing officer for um, a consumer product, I'm going to think about, I mean, you are a very passionate person about the prospect experience, but let's say I've now bought it and it's being yeah. delivered by Amazon to my doorstep. I definitely would be thinking about the unboxing experience, what it looks like, course, how it yeah. feels, whether we need to include any kind of documentation, whether the lid should have like a big QR code in it and and that's what takes them to an onboarding. And I'd really think about every single touch point um, of that and make sure that that first unboxing experience and implementation of, of the product was just phenomenal. I'll give you an example. Um, I bought these egg cups. By the way, if you take nothing from today, everybody, you like to make soft boiled eggs. They're these cups, silicon cups on Amazon. They're amazing. But guess what? After I used it the first time and I ditched the instructions, I forgot how long to keep them in the pot for. <laughs> I had no idea. And I, of course I went online and found it quickly, but I'm like, that feedback should get to them because it should probably right be on the silicon cup. That I was says, gonna say that, you know, I was gonna say you could put it on the cup. Yeah, four see. to five minutes, you know, and ah, okay, that's that's how long it was. But you know, you, you gotta interview clients and, and find out what it is. Let's talk about NPS because we're uh, I'm I'm taking us there. How do you find out the feedback from your clients and, and what do you do with it? I mean So with NPS, obviously, um, if you're not familiar, you know, it's it's a zero to ten scale. And folks that give you, and it's uh, how likely would you be to recommend our company to friends, associates, et cetera, uh, colleagues. And uh, folks that give you a nine or 10 are called promoters. They are really advocates of your brand. They love your brand. And, and uh, 
and you you should look at their comments versus your marketing and see if there's some other things that you should be promoting you're not promoting the folks that give you sevens and eights are called passives they're neither positive nor negative and the folks that give you zeros to sixes are detractors Mm -hmm. so if we if we take the um if we take the promoters out for a moment and you look at the detractors and the passives you know, in addition to asking them for the rating, you always want to ask them, why did you say that? Why did you give us that rating? And you want to look at the comments and you want to, you want to see what their input is and what their frustrations are. And mm-hmm. then you want to analyze and categorize that. And you mentioned about, you know, driving CX, you know, from marketing or wherever in the organization. You want to make sure that you have a cross-functional team looking at the feedback so you categorize it correctly and you can assign responsibility to the different areas i'm actually going through that now with one client this is onboarding this is product this is our our you know interface related this is our follow-up process you know Mm -hmm. etc and you want to actually pick things that you're going to act on quickly and then you want to communicate back to customers what you actually you want to thank them for the feedback and you want to um, communicate in two ways you know um, one-to-one with your large customers and uh, through marketing communications with your entire customer base to say, hey, you know, we weren't as good as we needed to be here. We're trying to continuously improve customer experience. This is what you told us. This is what we've done. We hope you can see the difference. And you keep doing that quarter over quarter. I'll give you one example. I was CMO yeah. uh, North America for a uh, Swiss-based dental implant firm. And we did uh, NPS quarterly. We also did N- had NPS for our competitors. So we knew where we were stronger and weaker. And actually, we were last in North America. So I put together a cross-functional team. I was CMO of North America. And we found out what the main issues were. And we acted on them. And we communicated back. And we actually went from last to first in, in one year by doing that. I, I have a blog on that on my website, Demand Revenue, you know, the story of what happened. But it's... You know, David, it's common sense. It's really common sense. You know, find out what your customers think of of mm-hmm. your of the you know not just the 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 prospect, but the whole um, as you were just talking about the entire post sale customer experience. You know, from when they bought the onboarding, and something else you said. Um, you know, with new people involved, I thought you guys did a really good job of onboarding. By the way, I remember. No, thank you. And I was right. at that first meeting, even though I you know was CMO, yeah. but. Uh, um, but what happens when you go from pre-sale to post-sale is, especially with very large deals, is the buying committee and the retention committee can be different people, right. as you pointed out. Yep. You've got different people involved and you have to show value. And, and you know, change management is hard. And a yes. lot of what you guys do uh, is, is change management. You have to be sensitive to where people are coming from. Um, and that's, you know, a big part of what needs to happen today because so many things need to evolve. Let me ask you some tactical questions as, uh, yeah. you know, cause you have a relationship with Fred who created, he's, uh, at Bain Reinheld. Am I saying that right? Uh, Reichheld. 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 Um, yeah. he, he created, you know, regional MPS like 20 years ago 20 years and ago. now we're up to 3.0. Um, what's the current thinking on how often do you ask this question? What's the right media to ask the question is it an email campaign and how often does it go how do you collect that information consistently and and genuinely and how often 
it can be email, it can be, you know, um, Qualtrics, it can be Medallia, it, it can be however you get the information. The important thing is don't get it too often. You know, don't oversample people. Don't, you know, it, it, it's really a gift when they give you information, then act yeah, on it and yeah. do something with it. And yeah, he, he, he started NPS um, 20 years ago. He's been at Bain for 40 years. Wow. He just came out with a new book called Winning on Purpose, which is fantastic okay. on customer experience. And he has a new metric, which I think is really interesting, um, you know, uh, and, and he's calling it earned growth. And it's relatively simple. If you take your net revenue retention, so the, the customers you keep plus the growth from those customers, and you look at your new logos and you can bifurcate for your new logos, how many came from a customer referral? Mm -hmm. If right at the beginning, you can find out by asking them how many came for a large part because of a customer referral. And then you take your net revenue retention plus the new logos from referrals. He's calling that earned growth. Okay. And when you think about it, it's really the value yeah. of your customer base, not only staying with you and growing with you, but bringing their friends in too, bringing their associates in too. I think it's a wonderful metric. Um, the problem with finance and I know who I'm talking with, you know, BDO, so I have to be careful what I say, probably, <laughs> know your owner, is that all the metrics in GAP and generally accepted accounting principles over time are looking in the rearview mirror. There are no customer metrics. Mm -hmm. And it's the customer activity and growth and retention and referrals yeah. that drive, you know, lifetime value, long-term value, multiples, you know, so financially, we need some new metrics to really evaluate the health of organizations other than traditional gap accounting, Yeah, which looks in the rearview mirror. I, I just that sense? On, on that topic, for sure it does. And I just I just learned about this. Um, you know, BDO is phenomenal in terms of training across the organization. You know, when we're globally a $10 billion company and BDO USA yep. is a $2 billion company, uh, BDO Digital, the you know the group that my group is is in is a 140 million dollar. There, there's a lot of services being delivered to generate all that revenue, and so yep. they're really good about you know cross educating the teams on what BDO as an organization can do. You know, like my my group was was acquired. Uh, you know, we brought a whole set of new services around the methods and technologies sure. for driving revenue and driving sales. So we've been educating other groups. Well, one of the group I learned recently has pioneered and developed quality of business. Um, the M&A group, when they are out um, assisting companies with finding new buyers and homes, they've developed a methodology for assessing the quality of the business. And it's some of the things that you just talked about. So there's always been quality of revenue, or at least for a long time, there's been looking at quality yeah. of revenue and how predictable and repeatable is that is. But how quality is the business? Some of those more intangible things and, and customer experience is a big part of that, right? I mean, you want to make sure. sure that no portion of your revenue from a quality of revenue is more than, you know, 10% from any one customer. Um, but looking at retention and looking at client satisfaction, looking at reviews online, do, in, I'm going to ask you that question. Are marketers, should marketers, and are they looking at reviews on social media you find regularly and routinely uh, around the products and services? They should be. It's all part of looking at your brand. You know, it's not only the reach of your brand, but it's what people associate with your brand. Um, 
and looking at social media is one way to evaluate that maybe a little quicker than doing a you know yeah. million dollar yeah. brand study you know which is very expensive but yeah they uh, obviously they, they should always be looking at at the different signals that the market is sending you about how people are perceiving your brand and, and where you think the strengths and weaknesses are so you can continuously improve. I mean, some of, some of the best marketing messages, value proposition and campaigns that I've run have definitely come from listening to the voice of the client online. And, and more importantly, yeah. like when I say when I worked at Ellie May and I was their head of marketing, um, I, I spent that first month in mortgage brokerages offices, finding out why they were right. using a competitor's product at that time, because we were just introducing it. And to hear loan processors talk about what they liked and disliked about the competitor's product, loan officers, broker owners, they all had yep. different value propositions and different things they liked. And if I if I had talked to just the product management team, I would be really missing the why around why yep. someone would want to migrate and what would be involved in migrating their their business. Um, and how and, difficult it is. And then yeah. Sig Anderman, uh, who's, who's no longer running the organization, but back then he was so incredibly passionate about the client experience. And he bought all of us um, the book Tipping Point uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell. Yeah. And he really talked about how like, if you have customers or influencers out there talking about your product or service, I mean, I'm sure somebody who likes soft boiled eggs um, has gone to Amazon or will go to Amazon and see what are these Silicon Cups Dave's raving about? Five minutes, by the way, five minutes is the amount of time in the water. Um, <laughs> I, word of mouth marketing is is so incredibly powerful, yeah. uh, and you, and you hit on that. Let's um let's wrap up with one topic uh, that I think is is really good for you to address, given the work you're doing these days. Is you know, what advice do you have for today's marketer that is really challenged with incredible innovation and changes that are taking place? incredibly noisy environments where your competition is everybody uh for yeah. time and attention and, and dollars and uh you know we're really what's happening maybe a little bit with the economy these days you know are we are we in a good place for marketing or is marketing going to start worrying about our, our budgets again i have a perspective on that but i'd love to get your what what advice you'd be sharing for for marketers um in those areas sure um, I'd say, first of all, none of us, none of us know everything. None of us do. And so it's not only important our experience and what we know, but the strength of our networks. And it's really important to get good advisors and mentors and people around you that can help you through some of these types of questions that understand you and your business and can give you good advice. That's really, really important because none of us know everything. Yeah. Um, in terms of being, you know, operationally efficient and this, you know, it kind of depends which company you work for and what the, you know, what, what the, uh, the, the industry you're in and where it is. And, and uh, you know, um, but I would say in general that, you know, CMOs and heads of marketing need to show CFOs that they are responsible with the assets that's assigned to them. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of ways, if you wanna reduce cost and be more efficient, there are a lot of ways to do that. I mean, one is do a content audit. If you do a content audit, you'll probably throw away 70% of what you have and save a lot of money and, and you know come out with much more relevant content, uh, which will, you know, and, and you know how you serve the content to the sales force, how easy it is for them to find. A lot of those operational things, you can become more efficient and save money 
and and drive a lot of a lot of change and a lot of really good change. Or if you're in a very large enterprise firm and you have, you know, 17 agencies that you work with worldwide, what about thinking about consolidating some of that and, you know, and improving the consistency of your brand and, you know, and leveraging some some vendors to reduce your costs. So there are a lot of things that CMOs can do, and it's important that they demonstrate um, uh, prudent, you know, um, resource allocation of the assets that they have. And in this kind of environment, it's even more important that, you know, you show that you can be operationally efficient and marketing yeah. isn't yeah. just a place to spend money, but it's, you know, it's a growth engine for, for the company. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I want to come back to your first point, which is about, you know, building your network. Uh, it's an expression I use often. None of us are smarter than all of us. Um, <laughs> You know, Alan, I'll, I'll make sure we put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes and I encourage you guys to just at a minimum connect with Alan. Uh, and then if you have any questions, you know, reach out to him. Like I said, he's worked with a number of our clients uh, and supporting them. I, you know, given the work that we do in terms of helping people with their technology and systems and really, you know, driving revenue and growth through the broad spectrum of demand generation, uh, having someone like Alan, in addition to, to, to my team, um, you know, gives you the resources you need, uh, and maybe challenge some of the things that you're, you're, you're doing, how you're doing them, or maybe some of the things that you're just not getting to. Um, and then, you know, career coaching, um, all of us that have gone through, you know, career progression in, in marketing or in, in business, we're always here to help. Um, you guys, as Alan said, you know, people like you yourself, Alan, and myself, I, I just enjoy every day helping people. And it's interesting on the podcast where thousands of people listen to it. I'll say, you know, Hey, if anybody wants a copy of this book, let me know if anybody wants, you know, to reach out, please do. Very few people do. They always feel that you're really busy or how do you have time for them or they're not important, but I, I spend time on it and I'm, I'm bringing it again. It's like, Alan, be happy to have a conversation with you as oh, yeah. would I, uh, if we can Absolutely. help you because we've all, we're all in this together and it's a, it's a challenging time on that note. My prediction is, you know, unless the economy um, really gets stronger faster, and we saw some signs at least this week, and this is the week of July 7th, uh, that there are some stronger signs in, in, um, in the markets, your budget is at risk. It's always at risk, but it is at risk in these, in these times. And if you find yourself in a situation where the executive team is putting pressure on marketing to scale back and not use your stuff, Ask yourself if you're really tying what you're doing to revenue enough and communicating that because right. the more that you are a revenue engine and not a cost center from a brand perspective, the more that your budget is going to be protected. Um, if God forbid that headcounts um, slow down or budgets get cut in marketing, I can assure all of you have doing this long enough that it takes about 60 to 90 days for the pendulum to swing back again. Worst case, 120 days when revenue starts really dipping and then they ask what can be done and marketing is like, we need to launch more campaigns and, and be more aggressive. So hopefully you don't get into that stage. Any other advice you have, Alan, on navigating a, a bit of uncertain economic times? Because when everything's thriving, it's here's more budget, here's more headcount, yeah. here's more everything. And right now we're, we're not seeing that this year. We're seeing actually the um, marketing layoffs, uh, declining positions being um, you know put in place and, and budgets getting squeezed. How soon things can change. Yeah. Um, I'd say my, my best advice is develop a really good relationship with your CFO. You know, if you go to my website, demandrevenue.com, I have a number of blogs there on creating relationships with CFO, CIO, CSO, 
CHRO, but the CFO and CMO relationship is a really important one. And, well and to have a good relationship, I, I would recommend that highly. Not not just in times that may be a little dicey, but all the time. All the time. Yeah. One of the, Heidi Malin, who I've had on on the podcast, as well as some others. By the way, she's one of my best referral sources uh, and um, been a client many times. And now that she's working on the private equity side, the, the companies in their portfolio, she'll refer a lot of business uh, to us. But all of us uh, who have had that very valuable and in fact, Chris Romo, who's our head of finance at BDO Digital, just before this call, was asking me for some information. One of the first per people that I got to know, um, because I knew that, you know, if we're going to build out a marketing team here at BDO Digital, that budget's going to go across his desk. And yep. making sure he understands what the vision is, why we're hiring these people, what we're going to put these dollars to, how much how much cost we're talking about, and then how much revenue we're going to drive. Um, you know, he's fully on board. It's great to have that relationship. Alan, thank you so much uh, for thank taking you, time out of your day. and and sharing your passion about client uh, experience. I've probably done seven sessions on client experience. So if this is a topic, you guys, that is that you're equally passionate about, look at some of the other podcasts that I've done on that topic, because I've had some of the you know New York Times bestselling authors on the podcast talking about client experience and how important it is. Because like Alan, uh, man, you will just, you, why bring on, why bring on new clients when they're just sneaking out the back door, right? If you don't exactly. fix, fix that. <laughs> Well, have a good week. Uh, I'm glad the hip surgery went well. I'm glad you're recovering you, well. And hey, if there's anything I can ever do to help you, you know where to find me. Same here. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. You guys, um, cranking out the episodes for you guys. If you haven't checked us out on YouTube, uh, be sure to go to YouTube and search for Demand Gen or Demand Gen TV. Click subscribe. There's a little notifications bell that I'm sure you guys are all familiar with. A lot of people forget to click that, including myself. And that will just let you know on YouTube when we release a new episode. Um, I'm making some stuff later today. So if you're listening to this, I'm making some stuff later today with a crew from Sendoso, we've been doing a lot more MarTech demos. So I look forward to you guys checking that out. We're talking about client experience today and Sendoso has a wonderful platform for sending gifts and nice things to your clients. So if you're looking for a way to operationalize uh, giving within your organization, check out those videos as well. Um, if you have any suggestions or things that you want me to cover, I'm always just a click away on LinkedIn or you can drop me an email. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.